Major League debut, number 35, Adley Rutschman. Rutschman into right field, down the line, a fair ball. Adley will turn first, head for second. He's going to turn second, go for third. Rutschman into third base standing. An extra base hit. His first hit in the Major Leagues. Welcome to the show, kid. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And today we are going to discuss a shakeup in our top 100 prospects list. We're a couple months into the season. The top 100 was originally set back in January, and we've done what we like to call here market corrections, where we've adjusted the top of the list to make sure it's in tip-top shape and accounted for some big jumps and big falls. We'll discuss that. We'll also discuss some big debuts in the big leagues. We had four in the past week, including the number one overall prospect, so that was very exciting. We'll discuss that. Talk a little bit about the draft, the top draft prospects list expanding from 150 to 200 this week. We're within two months of the draft, so we'll talk draft and we will give you a little taste of what's on tap on MLB.tv this week in terms of minor league games, which you can watch for free. And then I guess we should wrap up as we always do by answering a question from the mailbag. Jim, Jonathan, welcome. Thank you. Busy times. Busy times, only going to get busier as we approach our mega day, draft, futures game, everything, all at once. Uh, But I know you guys have been hard at work on a couple of things in particular, as mentioned, the expansion of the draft prospects list. And before we get to that, let's talk about the adjustments that were made to the top 100 prospects list. So I explained a little bit about what that is. And we actually started doing this three years ago. I say started, but I guess started and kind of ended three years ago. We we did it in 2019, did not do it in 2020 because of the pandemic. And then last year also affected by the late start of the minor league season and didn't really make sense to do it last year. So we're doing it really for the first time in three years. But um, Jim, your your uh, kind of overall impressions of this series of market corrections? Yeah, I mean, what, what we're trying to do, I mean, we, we can't update the list every day, but at the same time, we realize that, you know, things change. I mean, with development, we talk all the time. It's not linear. Guys have ups, guys have downs. It's funny just looking at the comments from fans. I don't know all fans, but it seems like a lot of the fans we've heard from on Twitter would have us look simply at this year's stats and then just, you know, pound Anthony Volpe because he's not off to a good start in double A. And, and so it's it's not just based on what they're doing this year because you have to take whole body of work and what kind of prospect they are. But at the same time, we recognize that, you know, we did this list before spring training. There have been injuries. There have been guys who've gotten off to great starts. There have been guys who've gotten off to not so great starts. So we we just try to clean it up. As you pointed out, we kind of redo the top 15. There aren't a lot of major changes there. And then look at guys who need to come up and down and guys who maybe we need to get on the list without waiting for guys to graduate. And I believe it's hard remembering back to 2019 because it was so long ago the last time we did this, but we'll probably do another one of these, what, in in June at some point. Then we'll have our big update, the complete overhaul when we add all the draft guys at some point in August. And then we'll probably do another market correction, what, right after the minor league season ends? Is that what we did before? It seems like it is. Yep. Now that you've said it out loud, we have to. Yeah, we're committed. 
or should be committed. There you go. Jim, you mentioned Volpe being off to a slow start. I, th- <clears throat> I think, excuse me, I think uh, one of the comments that we saw several times was, how is Volpe <clears throat> ranked ahead of Gunnar Henderson? <laughs> and you get all choked up when you talk about shortstop prospects, Jason. Exactly. Uh, yeah, you know, uh-huh. and, and I mean, I think the answer there is I don't remember where Volpe was on our season opening list. What was he, eight or nine? And Gunnar Henderson, I know guys graduate. Gunnar Henderson was probably about 60 spots behind him. And my my short answer would be, although Orioles fans aren't going to want to hear it, that, you know, I'm not going to, like, like there was a significant difference in our minds. This isn't just Jonathan and Sam and I doing the list. Hey, what do you guys think? Okay, we're not going to listen to anybody else. I mean, we get a lot of industry feedback. And I think Volpe was significantly ahead of Gunnar Henderson where, based on five weeks of play or six weeks, whatever it is at this point, I, I'm not going to jump Gunnar Henderson over Anthony Volpe just because he's had a better six weeks. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I will say, because I oversee the Orioles list and, and talking to people in the Orioles organization who for the last really two years, since the shutdown on the alt site, have been raving about his athleticism. And what we're seeing now is him starting to put that athleticism and those tools into consistent production in double A at age 20. So it's all impressive. That's why he moved up. You know, I think assuming that it continues, especially because his approach has been so good at the plate, he will continue to move up. But I agree, you know, with what you just said, Jimmy. We're not we're not going to start doing crazy things because of less than two months of one season. But it has been impressive to see what he's been able to do so far. And that said, you know, if Anthony Volpe, when we do this again in in five or six weeks, is still hitting 197, I, I think we. I'm not saying I put Gunnar Henderson ahead of him. We'll have to see how Gunnar's doing. But like Anthony Volpe, probably would move down. And and one thing to clarify, because I don't know that everybody always reads the fine print on these things. We didn't just revote on the whole top 100 outside the top 15. We only made what we deem significant changes, guys moving up at least or down 12 or 15 spots. You know, just looking at the list, yes, you know, Jordan Walker, who's at 25 now, is having a better year than Brett Beatty at 23. And I think, Jonathan, I mean, if we were voting today, I probably would put Jordan Walker ahead of Brett Beatty instead of slightly behind him. But we weren't going to move guys up two spots here, three spots there, because then you just start, you know, redoing the whole list from scratch. And that, that wasn't the point of this exercise. Right. So you mentioned uh, Henderson did move up, jumped up 12 spots. So he was one of those guys that did make a significant jump. Some others who made big leaps this time around, one of the biggest, most significant, Daniel Espino of the Guardians, jumped 38 spots from number 49 to number 11. Unfortunately, he is on the IL right now, but looking forward to a return from him. Some other large jumps, I, I think the biggest jump, uh, was that of Mackenzie Gore, jumped 47 spots from 81 to 34. We'll talk a little bit more about that in particular in just a second. Uh, Bobby Miller, Dodgers right-hander, jumped 16 spots. Shea Langoliers, off to a very good start. Um, known for his defense, but really hitting the ball, jumped 13 spots. Kyle Harrison, who I believe, as we're speaking, is probably in transit, as I believe he has been promoted. He jumped 26 spots. Gunnar Henderson mentioned 12 spots. Leover Paguero, 13 spots from number 75 to 62. Andrew Painter jumped 26 spots. Joey Weimer, D.L. Hall, Brian Bello all jumped uh, at least a dozen spots. And Ken Waldachuk jumped 10 as well. The 
Yankees pitching prospect is off to a fantastic start. So those are the guys who jumped at least 10 spots. And Jonathan, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about uh, one of your guys there? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because Andrew Painter began the year not even on the top 100, much to the chagrin of some Phillies fans and some members of the Phillies player development staff, you know, who told me even in spring training, you know, to, to put a circle around him. Obviously, we're we're aware of him. He was their their first round pick a, a year ago, you know, second straight high school, very tall high school right hander that the the Phillies had taken, and he has gotten off to a ridiculous start. So we had just added him as a, a as a replacement for graduation, and then we were able to sort of move him up and actually moved him ahead of Mick Abel on the Phillies list. And Mick Abel was their 2020 first rounder, uh, still high on him, but Painter has just been lights out. He, he's gotten touched up a little bit. I mean, he didn't give up an earned run until his sixth start of the year. They're, they're bringing him along slowly in the Florida State League, but his overall numbers are just ridiculous. A 121 batting average against. He's been striking out 17.9 per nine innings. Uh, he's given up some walks his last couple starts. He had a, a five walk outing his last start, so that number's a little inflated, but it's clear that his stuff is... <laughs> way too good for the level he's at now he's super young and they're not going to push him too fast but it'll be fun to see what kind of numbers he continues to accrue you know albeit under the sort of a short leash and tight pitch counts and things like that as the year goes on all right quickly one correction i I said that dl hall had jumped at least 10 spots he did not actually but he did bump up three spots jim maybe you're one of your all-time favorite prospect subjects uh, subject to one of your prospect crushes, and now you're getting a chance to hop back on the bandwagon. I don't know that you were ever completely off. You were kind of hanging on for dear life. Uh, but Mackenzie Gore <laughs> is uh, has moved back up. He's been all, he's been all over. Well, has he been all over the top 100 prospects list? I guess not really all over it. But he well, no, he he had. I think that's fair. I mean, he went from being in the top 10, you know, and, and ranking as the best prospect the best pitching prospect in baseball to we had him I don't know around 88 or something coming into this season now he's I think he's back at the top of our left-handed pitching prospect list which he will only be for a short while longer because he's going to graduate but it's uh but no I, I I I was not off the bandwagon but I was concerned you know in, in 2020 you know when we heard that his mechanics had gotten out of sync as stuff was down. We didn't see him at all. We thought we'd see him in the big leagues. And instead we saw Ryan Weathers come up. Luis Patino came up. Mackenzie Gore did not. You know, you just heard things. You didn't get to see it. And then last year he was actually pitching in games and the mechanics were off and the stuff was down. And, you know, we've talked about in the fall league, I think he was gone from the fall league by the time Jonathan was there. And I want to say that, that Sam Dykstra was at his first start and he looked really, really good. And it was encouraging. And then in his second start, I don't think Sam was at. He didn't look very good at all. He looked terrible. I saw his third and final start in the fall league, and it was worrisome. You know, he kind of sat around 92. He'd tick up a little bit, and when he did, he was fine. But when he was at 92, he wasn't locating the fastball, and he was getting hit. And the secondary stuff, you know, he's got the he'll, – he'll flash at times. I think all, all three of his secondary pitches can be plus – but when I saw him, they were just kind of average. And it was like, hmm, doesn't really look like he's figured things out. And then you fast forward to spring training this year and everything like seemed like he finally figured out the mechanics and the adjustments that they tried to make. And 
stuff's been a lot crisper. You know, I think he's averaged about 96 miles an hour with his fastball in the big leagues. And the, the exciting thing to me, he's got like a 2.06 ERA right now. And seven outings, he's pitched pretty well pretty much every time out. And the thing that's exciting to me is the as the president of the McKenzie Gore fan club is I think there's room for improvement. Now, I'm not saying ERA is going to get lower than 2.06. I'll, I'll bet that that goes up. But his secondary pitches have just been kind of okay. They, they, you know, I, I think they haven't been as consistent as they can be. The fastball has been really, really effective, just both in terms of velocity and action and his ability to move it around the strike zone a little bit. And I think – if he gets those, those secondary pitches, you know, working a little bit better, even just gets one of them to, to where it's a, a consistent solid to plus pitch, um, I, I feel really good about his long term future. So I am back. I, I was I was concerned. I guess is the best way to put it. After seeing the fall league on the heels of two years of, of hearing about all this inconsistency, but he looks like he's back to being the Mackenzie Gore that 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 I know and love. So. I think Jim was always on the bandwagon, but he like was wearing sunglasses and a hat, so people didn't recognize him as much. I wasn't ashamed of it. I, I, I was concerned, though. I, I was. It's like maybe the the car door opened on the bandwagon, and I felt like I was going to fall out, and I was concerned. But we're 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 all good now. Now he's firmly back in the driver's seat, buckled in. Yeah, you know, only allowed to talk about him uh, for a little bit longer though until he he graduates, and then that's it, Jim, cutting you off. I know, and which I think I want to say isn't like maybe he's got. Eight to ten days left on the prospect list. Yeah, enjoy it while you can. Mm-hmm. I will. I will. All right. Let's uh, let's look at the other end of the spectrum. We said that you know made adjustments uh, for big jumps. Uh, also, some guys falling. Um, maybe not quite as fun to talk about, but uh, Josh Young dropped twelve spots from twenty six to thirty eight. He's out for the year. Year right. Probably, like probably, there, there's some thought he might be able to come back and DH maybe at the end of the season, but he's going to have a, a pretty much a lost season. Yes, Edward Cabrera dropped 19 spots from 30 to 49. Cade Cavalli 35 to 50. Marlins and Nationals right-handers there. Quinn Priester, Nick York, and Tyler Soderstrom just one spot down for each of them. Cole Wynn dropped 10 spots. Austin Martin. Of the twins dropped 15. So, guys, for some of these bigger falls, why don't you explain those for us? Evidently, I'm only allowed to talk about tall right-handers during this segment. Now, Emerson Hancock, I guess, would be the shooting guard. Andrew Painter could be the power forward. But anyway, so Emerson Hancock, I think we kind of held on longer than a lot of other people who do rankings. You know, obviously, the, the number six pick in the 2020 draft couldn't pitch in 2020. You know, Jim and I have talked about him a lot. Obviously, Georgia Bulldog, so he's near and dear to, to Jim's heart. He was so good his sophomore year in 2019 that I think uh, people were assuming that he was going to ascend and be a, kind of a clear-cut number one pick in 2020 and got a little dinged up. The stuff wasn't as good. Uh, you know, the, the, the numbers were fine, you know, uh, not great. Uh, and there were only four starts uh, before the shutdown in 2020. And then since then, he, he's just barely been able to pitch. Uh, he's just had several different injuries. So he, he's now got a total of 48 and two-thirds innings. And he just got back recently, and then he's had two outings, and they haven't been particularly good. So, I, you know, I'm not totally giving up. He's in double A, and he's only he's still only 22, 
And, you know, so, I mean, he turns 23 in a week. So I'm not completely giving up, but we took him off of the top 100. And let's see what happens if he can build himself back up. It's been two two-inning stints, and, and he's not throwing strikes. You know, we'll see what, what happens. I, I don't know if he'll climb back into the top 100. Right now, I know the Mariners just want him to be able to go out and pitch every five, six days and, and build himself back up and, and get those reps because he's not had any of those, uh, you know, since really since he's maybe since 2019. Yeah, and I was going to say that the thing that worries me a little bit about him, and he is near and dear to me as a, as a fellow Georgia Bulldog, is, you know, in 2019, Jonathan, you're talking about, like, when he was a sophomore, he came out, and I think he, his first 10 starts of the season, he was as good as any pitcher in the country, and he looked like he'd be the number one pick in 2020, and he had a lat strain, and he missed a couple starts, and he came back, and even the rest of his time at Georgia, which was about four starts that year, and then four the next year during the shortened pandemic season, he, he was pretty good. You know, I mean, obviously he went six in the draft, but he wasn't that, hey, you know, throws his glove out there and the other team has no shot like he was as a sophomore. And then as you noticed, as you noted, he just hasn't pitched. He's pitched less than 50 innings as a pro. He, his control has been kind of fringy when it was, you know, at least plus before. And he just hasn't been as dominant. So I, I, I'd, I'd like to see what a fully healthy Emerson Hancock can do. And I, I'm going to stick with that 2020 draft. And I'm going to go with the number five overall pick who went right before him. You know, that was, you know, Austin Martin, who was drafted by the Blue Jays, you know, since been traded to the Twins and the Barrios deal last year. And, you know, it was funny. Everybody assumed, you know, he, he you know, Spencer Torkelson was the guy in the 2020 draft and he was going to go one. And I think the assumption by a lot of people was that, that Austin Martin was going to go number two. And if he didn't go two, that he'd go three to the Marlins, whose scouting director, DJ Svillick, recruited him when he was at Vanderbilt as a coach and DJ Pat and the Marlins passed on. He wound up going fifth to Blue Jays. And, you know, the, the, the questions about, you know, Martin and look, these guys get nitpicked, especially when you're at the top of the draft. But, but the two biggest questions about Austin Martin and, and he still went fifth, which wasn't like he, he tumbled terribly were a, how much power is he going to have? He's, he's really good bat to ball skills, but how much power is it going to be? And B, there were some throwing issues in terms of, confidence in throws, strength of throws, you know, can this guy play in the infield or is he going to be more of an outfielder? And I don't know what to make of him guys. Like it's kind of, you know, it reminds me a little bit of the discussion we had with Nick Madrigal when, you know, Nick was coming up through the White Sox system. Now he's with the Cubs and he's not really tearing it up and he hit for high average, but there was like zero power you know, he wasn't as good defensively as advertised. And it's like, what exactly is he going to be? And, and I'm kind of that way with Austin Martin. I mean, you know, since the Twins acquired him, he's hit about 255 in, in half a season in AA last year and this year combined. You know, he, he's a better hitter than that. He's still making a ton of contact, but there's not a lot of power. Like this year, his ground ball rate is 55%, which is way too high. He, he, when, he, when he does make contact, it's not quality contact. And I know the Twins have played him mostly at shortstop this year. And you guys can, can confirm that. I, I don't think a 786 fielding percentage is good at shortstop. <laughs> um, you know, he's got nine errors and 20 starts. And, and I just don't think he has the arm to play on that side of the diamond. Like, right. like maybe he can play second. I think second's the best case scenario. He might be able to play center, but he also might, might wind up being a corner. I mean, there's a scenario where he's a left fielder. And and then he's got a hit. I. I yeah, and I, I mean, I, I think he'll hit, but I just think, I mean, he could be a guy who hits 280, but he might hit like 
five homers if he doesn't. And even last year, he didn't even hit a lot of doubles. I mean, he just puts the ball on the ground an awful lot. So he, you know, we didn't crush him. He's down to number 63 on the list. But I will say, if he continues along this vein, I mean, he's slugging 338 right now. When we do this exercise again in, in five or six weeks, I don't know. Like it might be time to pull him off the top 100 list entirely yeah. if he doesn't start hitting the ball with some authority. I, I, I agree with that, and you know it's funny. I'm remembering is you know I was in Twins camp this spring, and they were really excited because they were working with him to change his setup at the plate. He had a tendency to kind of hunch over, almost crouch towards the plate, so he would get tied up on the inside all the time, and he wasn't getting out in front so he could drive the ball and spring they were getting him to be a little more upright and they were having really good results now i don't know if he's sort of gotten back to those old habits because you know it'd be one thing if you know all right so if he's not hitting homers but you know the line drive rate was better and so you know it was kind of a work in progress he doesn't have to be a you know a 25 homer guy but this was a guy that coming into pro ball kind of thought would be, you know, a 300 hitter. So if he was starting to hit line drives and, and the contact was resulting in, in base hits, that would be one thing. You're like, all right, you know, he's moving in the right direction, but it's kind of more of the same. So I have to go and kind of watch to see what he's doing and check out whether he's kind of gotten back to his old habits with his setup at the plate where uh, that really kind of, he cuts himself off and it makes it harder for him to drive the ball. All right. And I should, Mentioned that uh, in addition to the guys that I, I mentioned before that had fallen, Jonathan talked about Emerson Hancock, who fell off the list uh, completely from previously being ranked number 78 to off the list. Two more players who fit that bill who were on the list and fell completely off. Sixto Sanchez, who, hit, you know, his fall has been uh, going on for the past couple of years now, had ranked toward the top of the top 100 a couple of years ago, was number 54 on our preseason list this year and is now off the list. And Greg Jones, uh, Ray shortstop prospect, started the year at number 86 and he fell off as well. All right, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some recent big league debuts that's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. None of us made our big league debuts last week, but... Still waiting. Still still awaiting the call. Uh, a bunch of guys did. Uh, very exciting. The number one overall prospect in baseball, Adley Rutschman, made his debut on Saturday. Was announced at approximately 8 a.m. Saturday. Made his debut that night at home. Very cool moment. Very cool atmosphere. And then there were a trio of... Cardinals top 100 prospects who got the call to the big leagues over the past week, including childhood friends Nolan Gorman and Matthew Liebertor, and then more recently, Ivan Herrera, Cardinals catching prospect. Let's start with Rudgman. He had sort of just resumed his place as the number one overall prospect in baseball when Bobby Witt Jr. graduated. Uh, he had been the number one prospect on our midseason top 100 prospects list last year. And we'd been waiting for this. He might have started the year in the big leagues if he hadn't been injured to start the year. We knew it was coming soon. Yeah, I mean, he's he's there. 
G-Rod, Grayson Rodriguez is on the way. It's starting to get a little exciting there. What'd you guys think? Your your impressions of uh, the Adley debut? It was cool seeing him hit the triple. I mean, like everybody else, I mean, it's it's funny. I mean, it's only three games. He's hitting 167. Send him back down. So I don't know if we're going to start getting the tweets like we got about like Spencer Torkelson and, and Bobby Witt Jr. You've overhyped them. No, I mean, it, to me, the, the interesting thing is obviously we did not foresee the pandemic. But if in 2019, when he went 1-1, you told me that he was not going to make his debut until May 2022, I would have said there's there's no way. I I, I would have thought, I, I would have thought mid even for a catcher. Yeah, even for a catcher, he's a good catcher. There's not there's oh, nothing. He was so advanced as a catcher. Yeah, it, it's not like I mean, it wasn't really like he needed to do anything. I, I would have I would have thought, and it granted, I mean, the pandemic played into it, but I would have thought mid 2021. At the latest, like he'd be ready opening day 2021 and maybe they'd manipulate the service time some. Um, but like I never would have thought it would have taken this long. And I will say I will give kudos to the Orioles because I think we've even talked about this on the podcast. When he had the triceps injury and he wasn't ready to go at the start of the season and he missed some time, it would have been very easy for the Orioles to just, you know, hey, we're going to let him get some more time. He hasn't played a lot in AAA and keep him down for another three weeks and delay his arbitration eligibility, you know, via Super 2 status, and they didn't. So so credit to the Orioles for bringing him up and, and putting him in there. And and I'll ask you this, Jonathan. I think we've, we've brought this up on the podcast too. You know, even though he missed the first six weeks of the big league season, I still feel like he could, he could make a run at the American League Rookie of the Year award. Oh, without question. I mean, I think the only thing that would keep him from doing that is playing time as a catcher in his rookie season. They're probably going to manage his workload a little bit. So as opposed to someone who's playing another position and playing every single day, you know, some of his numbers might pale in comparison. But I do think that he'll play enough to at least be in that conversation. He's not striking out. So I think he's kind of just getting his bearings. He's making a lot of contact. and It's, it's all going to come. And he's a guy that even if, say, he's not hitting right away, is going to contribute so much behind the plate that it's all good. So, yeah, I think I think he's certainly, you know, we've seen guys come up in May and end up winning rookie of the year. So uh, some of it, I think it may just come down to how much he can play. So the counting stats, you know, measure up. And no one's exactly running away with it in the American League so far, right, in terms of rookies. It feels like. Jeremy Pena would win it if we were voting season to date. Yeah. And he, Joe Ryan, Jeremy Pena. Yeah. Um, but I don't feel like, you know, Joe Ryan is not Fernando Valenzuela and you know, Jeremy Pena isn't hitting 350 with 15 home runs. So, like, I, I think those guys could still be caught. Julio has warmed up. He's bumped his line up. Julio's my pick. Yeah. As of today. Well, Julio is my preseason pick. So I'm, I'm with you. You're still with it. You're still on that pick. Yep. Yeah, I still think he's going to be <laughs> be a weird time to get off of that. The most talented guy in the best position to put up big numbers. Not unseated by Adley. No, I because I, I, what Jonathan was saying about I like they've used him at DH twice, but you know there is some wear and tear with catching. I just think it, you know we had this discussion, but as much as I like Bobby Wood Jr. and as much as I like Adley Rutschman, I do think Julio Rodriguez is equipped both this year and over the long term, just because of the nature of his position and his skills to put up the best career offensive numbers of any of those three guys all right so that's the adley debut now we had nolan gorman matthew libertor Ivan herrera who as we record herrera is yet to actually make his big league debut but he was called up when yadier molina went on bereavement leave so gorman and libertor obviously we've talked over the years about their lifelong friendship 
played together on a team when they were four and five years old. It was pretty cool when Libertor was traded to the Cardinals and uh, those two got back together. And it was cool that they got called up at the same time. I think it would have been a little cooler if Gorman had been in the lineup when Libertor made his debut. Uh, <laughs> he, he, I think he entered the game later, though. Uh, Are you angry that, the, we, as we talked about, the Orioles didn't bring up Grayson Rodriguez to make his debut in the same game as Adley? Yeah, that would have been that would have been equally cool. Yes, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, with that one, is that a matter of can you make more of a justification that Grayson needs a little more time? Or, eh, I mean, again, I'm not saying this is playing into it. You know, you have the Super Two arbitration thing. I mean, Grayson Rodriguez has plenty of stuff. Throws plenty of strikes, and he's in AAA. He had a couple starts where they weren't as sharp as others, but I think if you put Grayson, what if you put Grayson Rodriguez in the big leagues, a I think he certainly ha- is more than equipped to survive. And B, he's better than any pitcher on the Orioles staff. So so you you could call him up, yes. I, I will say 100% you could call him up. I think you could, but you know, I think the difference is that the Cardinals had a need, you know, and they're a winning team and they're competing. They needed a starter. You know, This wasn't a, let's build some excitement. If I'm the Orioles, sure, bringing them both up would be fantastic, but... Even just from a from a marketing standpoint, which is not how they're making these decisions, but like, why not space it out? You know, bring up Grayson another time, and that's another round of buzz being created. You know, for the Cardinals, they're not going to bring guys up just to to make headlines. I do like that they brought them up together, uh, and the Cardinals are so good at developing guys and and knowing the bond that the two of them have together. I'm sure it was special, even if Gorman wasn't in the lineup, for him to be in the dugout when Libertor made his debut and, and vice versa. Libertor was there uh, when Gorman made his debut. So, uh, you know, exciting times for the Cardinals too. Yeah. So as far as those two go, I mean, Gorman was obviously crushing the ball in the minor leagues, leading minor leagues in home runs. And it was just kind of, they didn't have a spot for him. And that spot came to be when Paul DeYoung continued to not hit the ball. And so they shuffled the infield around and move Edmund over to shortstop, Gorman playing some second base. So there was obviously a sense there that Gorman had earned that spot and was ready. Libertor hasn't been particularly impressive this year, but Jonathan, like you said, there was the need there. Yeah, and I think there's also confidence in his maturity, both on and off the mound, that he could handle the assignment. Just like you know, they jumped him to AAA to start the 2021 season. Keep in mind, his first full season was 2019 in the Rays organization in in low A. And then there was the shutdown. And then they jumped him up to triple A. And he, you know, he took some lumps early and finished strong with Memphis last year and then was back in Memphis. And, you know, it had some good starts, had, you know, had some some not great ones. Uh, you know, I think the that was a fun start against uh, against Grayson Rodriguez. In fact, right, you know, on our on our game of the month before before he got called up. So, like, I think there was a confidence that he would, uh, and it, you know, he didn't he didn't pitch great uh, against the Pirates, but I, I think they feel that he's going to do what he can to keep a team in games, and even if he gets knocked around a little bit. Uh, you know, they love his his makeup and presence on the mound, that it's not going to impact him in any kind of adverse way for the long haul. 
And he's, you know, he's what, he's 22 years old. So there's plenty of room for him to continue growing, whether, you know, he stays in the big leagues or has to go back down to AAA or, you know, rides the shuttle for a little bit this year. I think the key for him in the long term is going to be what he, what, what he can do with his fastball. I mean, his, he, he's got very good field of spin. He throws strikes. You know, he, he, there, look, there was great degree of difficulty, as you mentioned, Jonathan, because he jumped from low A to AAA and he was like six years younger than the typical AAA guy last year. But, but in his AAA time and not to read too much into his one start, but even in his, his first big league start, you know, the, the breaking stuff has been very effective and the fastball gets hit. You know, he can throw strikes with it, but it's, it's low 90s. I don't think there's notable life on it. It's kind of an average, you know, fastball. Even, you know, if you want to be really strict in terms of your grading and, I mean, you know, 93's average velocity, you know, it might be a fringy fastball if, if you wanted to be tough on him. And, and I think that's going to be the key is either adding some more movement, find a little bit more velocity. Um, you know, I'm not reading too much into one start, but, you know, big league guys – the big leaguers are going to pound the fastball as it is right now. Like, like he's going to have to be really, really fine with it or it's going to get hit. Um, but I, I think everything you said, Jonathan, going back to when we both covered him as an amateur, I remember at the Under Armour game, I guess it would have been 2017, the year before he got drafted. Uh, he was the one pitcher, I think, on whichever team he was on that wasn't going to the next showcase, whatever the next thing was on the schedule. And we went to extra innings. I think the game went 11 innings. And Libertor pitched three. Like Libertor wanted to keep going. He would have. He would, You know. He wound up getting the win. Uh, but he he was willing to pitch. You know. He was extremely competitive. And he's like. You know. I remember him saying he would have pitched five innings. You know. He he relished the opportunity to, to right. have a long outing against you know some of the best hitters in the country. So I, I'm with you. I think he'll be he'll be fine. He's very mature for his age. He'll be able to handle it. He'll keep him in games. But I think how good he becomes in the long run is going to come down to what he can do with the fastball. All right, and the. Third of the Cardinals prospect triumvirate that got the call up to the big leagues over the past week, Ivan Herrera. Jonathan, tell us a little bit about him. He's, you know, I think yet another catcher in the Cardinals system. It seems like this has been the case for nearly a decade now. Right. You've got these guys, Carson Kelly, Andrew Kisner, now Herrera coming up behind Yachty and oh, he's he's got to retire <laughs> sometime. Kelly off to the D-backs and Kisner not behind the plate with the Cardinals, and now we have Herrera. Yeah, there's a whole club of heir parents who apparently aren't going to air. I think, though, this time he is the guy who is going to try to fill those very large shoes eventually. You know, he's super young, turns 22 uh, on June 1st, in fact. And you know, this is a guy who Yachty has taken under his wing since he entered the the system and jumped on the map kind of early on uh, on both sides of the ball then struggled a bit when he reached the upper levels you know his 2021 wasn't very good at least offensively though he had a bunch of homers in double a and this year he was was hitting well but you know he he he's got a strong arm uh, he's worked on his receiving i remember being impressed with him talking to him in cardinals camp and him insisting on doing the interview in English, which to me, which, you know, that's a small thing, but he was super young at the time. And the fact that he was working so hard and not like in terms of him dealing with the media, big deal, but also understanding that part of his job is being able to communicate with his pitching staff. And so to me, that showed a certain maturity 
Uh, and he has always gotten high marks for his leadership behind the plate and things like that. So I think this year he was off to a very good start in Memphis and OPS just uh, under 900. Uh, I think he is going to hit and will be the guy who eventually takes over for Yanni Molina, regardless of how much he plays or, or doesn't play while he's up right now. You know, and the thing is, it's funny, you know, we're talking about these three Cardinals who've all made their debuts this year. And as talented as they are, they're going to have their work cut out to be one of the top three rookies on the Cardinals this year because the Cardinals have gotten tremendous contributions from three guys who we saw play well in the Arizona Fall League. And it, it's, I think, a big reason why they're 24 and 18. You know, Juan Yepes, who I, I think, Jason, was the reason you won our AFL total base competition. That's right. One of, one of the reasons. Yep. Well, main reason, though, a great pickup. Four home, you know, you wasn't on your original draft list, but you picked him up when you had an injury opening. But, you know, Juan Yepes, you hit for a ton of power in the Fall League and four home runs and, and 77 plate appearances so far. He's got an opt of almost 900. Brendan Donovan, who was a guy who was first on my radar when he was at South Alabama. He was a seventh-round pick. Kind of known, eh, fringy defender, but he makes a lot of hard contact with some gap power, and he runs the bases well. And I mean, he's hitting 340 with 12 walks. He's got a, an ops over a thousand right now. A bunch of six doubles and 23 starts. He's played kind of all over the infield too. Helped make up for for Paul DeYoung's regression. And then Andre Palante was another guy in the AFL. He was one of the hardest throwing starters out there last fall. He was mid 90s. I saw him hit 99 in a game at Mesa. And they put him into the bullpen, and Andre Palante's got, Palante's got a 0.95 ERA in 19 innings. Not not missing a lot of bats or throwing a ton of strikes, but he's been very tough to score on. So the Cardinals, these big names, all the top 100 guys came up. You know, they've got you know Jordan Walker, who we mentioned earlier, is, is their best prospect. But some good depth in the Cardinals system, and they're getting a lot of mileage out of a lot of guys who weren't real famous prospects coming into the year. All right, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to talk draft and take a look at this week's MILB on MLB.tv schedule that's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, I'm Jason Ratliff, and it's time to talk draft. Guys, you've expanded the list from 150 to 200. We're within two months of the draft now. As you were going through this process, what stood out to you? Let's talk about some of the highest risers on the list, some of the highest debuts of players who are appearing on a list for the first time. Let's start at the very top of the list. Not a whole lot of movement at the very top, although we did have a big leap into the top 15. Yeah, I think our top eight guys are still the top eight with the order slightly shuffled around. In the top 16 guys, or top 15 guys, I'm sorry, all were in the top 17, but the one guy who made a jump was Justin Crawford, who I think we talked about last week on the podcast when we are talking about guys making moves. You know, Carl Crawford's son, this will shock you, but he's really athletic and he can run. I'm not saying he's going to be better than Carl, but if you're great, he, he kind of has tools similar to Carl's 
except he can throw. So he, like, I don't think you're going to have to consign him to left field. Uh, he's a pretty exciting guy who, who's worked his way, I think, into the middle of the first round. That's another big jump by the son of a former big leaguer. Our last expansion on the list featured the, the biggest jump there. The most notable thing there was the the jump Matt Holiday's son. So is, is this going to happen again when we expand? To, is there another son out there? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there are plenty. I, I will look at it like seven of our lot. top 13 guys have athletic connections. You've got, you know, just real quick, Drew Jones, son of Andrew, Elijah Green, son of NFL tight end Eric, Jackson Holiday's son of Matt, Brooks Lee, son of Larry, who is his coach at Cal Poly. His uncle, Terry, was a first-round pick in the 70s. Jace Young's brother, Josh, who we mentioned on the in the market corrections, is a top prospect with the Rangers. Cam Collier is Lou's son, and, and Justin Crawford is Carl's son. That's And that's just in our top 13. It's, it, it's, it's the draft of bloodlines. Who's our next best candidate, Jonathan, to move to move up? I'm, I'm scrolling down here. Yeah, I don't – the funny thing is that there are all those up top, and then I can't – I can't think of... Well, you know who the next one is? Kumar Rocker. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you're right. There's there's one. It's Kumar. And uh, Tucker Toman's father, Jim, is a longtime college coach. So, and, and Tucker, I think, is, is hitting his way into the first round. Or I should say has hit his way into the first round because the season's over. But yeah, it's, then there are a ton of bloodlines in this draft. All right. Let's uh, each of you tell us about uh, someone who is a high riser on this list. Jonathan? Yeah, it works out well because each of us have a guy who was not on our 150, who is now firmly in the middle of the top 100. And, you know, one of the, the best things about the expansion of the list, it gives us a chance to like really look at, well, do we have guys too high or, you know, we miss on guys or guys, you know, make a late charge. And my guy is actually a guy who kind of was famous and then scouts backed off of him until... He got hot this spring, and they're back on this. Roman Anthony, who's an outfielder at uh, Stoneman Douglas High School uh, in, in Southern Florida. It's where Anthony Rizzo, Jesus Lazardo, Colton Welker, among others, you know, went to school. And, you know, I remember him because at Major League Baseball's high school all-star game in Denver, he had a 450-foot homer uh, in that game. Absolutely crushed it. And, yes, we all know, of course, field is a good place to hit, but that ball would have been out of anywhere. And then there were there were concerns uh, about a lot of swing and miss, and people were like, well, "I don't I don't think he can you know he's going to hit enough to get to that power." And then like as the spring started unfolding, you know I got a report from one scout. He, he, Stoneman Douglas played at the National High School Invitational at uh, USA Baseball's complex, and one scout was like, "Well, you know he showed the raw power and BP and swung the bat pretty well, but still scouts were kind of like." Hmm. Not sure it's going to work, and you know. Then we started hearing his name, and you know, as we're doing these mocks, you know, Jim, you can confirm this, but like his name started kind of popping up a little bit as a, you know, not a sure thing first rounder. We're putting him in the fifties on on the expansion, but like, well, you know, he could sneak into the first round, and maybe he's a sandwich pick, maybe he's a second rounder. But for a guy who wasn't on the 150 and people didn't think he could hit. So, you know, I kind of started circling back to scouts in Florida and he just has been making a lot more contact. He's been getting to the power. Uh, you know, he plays center field at Stoneman Douglas, but he's going to play a corner, but he'll be fine in, in, in right field. If you want him to, he's got enough arm. He's, you know, decently athletic. Uh, but I think it's more confidence in the bat and his ability to get to that power is, is why he's charged up the board like this. And right behind him on the list, we have Max Wagner at Clemson, who was a bubble guy when we did the 150, 
and just has continued to rake. And, and now we have him at number 63. And, you know, he's, you know, we talk a lot about how Wisconsin's kind of an underrated uh, source of talent. He's a Wisconsin high school kid who went to Clemson. Uh, freshman last year, he's a 21 year old sophomore this year, which is why he's eligible. As a freshman last year, he didn't really play that much. He hit 214. Uh, he was more of a backup, come off the bench, play some third base late in games. And that was really his role coming coming into this year. The first five or six games, he was more of a, a defensive guy. Um, worked his way in the starting lineup by the end of February. Uh, started to take off right when we were doing the list before. He homered seven times in five games in mid-April. He's gone deep 16 times in his final 22 regular season games. I think the ACC tournament starts today. Right now he's hitting 380, 506 on base, 867 slugging. He's got 26 home runs overall which is too shy of the NCAA Division One lead. That belongs to uh, Ivan Melendez of Texas, who we, we added to the list in, in the 113 or so range. But but quick quiz for you guys. Max Wagner is one off of the Clemson school record for homers in the season, which is 27. Who holds the Clemson single-season home run record? Oof. I, I'm not going to. No. Former first-round pick. How long ago? Oh, probably 15 years ago or so. No, no 15, way. 20 years ago. Nope. Famous big leaguer. He played for big leagues for a while. Khalil Green. Khalil Green holds that record. Um, and, you know, Wagner's a little bit tough on scouts because he had an unbelievable year, but there, there's very little track record. Didn't play or hit much last year. He did do well with wood bats in the Northwoods League last year, uh, last summer. He's got plus raw power, but it's more of a strength-oriented power than bat speed. Um, he does work the counts well. He draws walks. He's made some adjustments, probably an average third baseman, solid arm. You know, he, I wouldn't rule out that he could play his way all the way into the first round. I mean, one of the things, Jonathan, that I'm running into when we're doing these mock drafts is you don't often see a lot of guys taken in the first round who don't hit 300 in their draft year in college. And yet I keep putting Dylan Beavers in there and Jordan Beck. And I'm not convinced that when it comes to the, you know, down to draft day that we're going to see what six high school pitchers take in the first round. Like we keep projecting. Wow. Um, so Max Wagner, I, I'd say right now he's probably more of a sandwich or second round pick, but if he goes and continues to hit like this, it means Homer in just about every game. It seems if he goes off of ACC tournament in front of a bunch of scouts and, and keeps this up, he, he very well might hit his way, you know, you know, into that end of the first round. So uh, super interesting, but a little bit tough just because you didn't have many, you know, really much track record at all with him coming into the year. Okay. And tell us about someone in the 151 to 200 range, the new additions to the list uh, that is intriguing. Jonathan, take us out to Hawaii. I would love to. We should go on location, in fact. I thought you were going to ask him to sing a new edition song. Like I was, <laughs> I was hoping. <laughs> that next week, I need, I need at least a little. Once we get to Hawaii. I need a little prep time. If you want me to sing on the podcast, I'm willing, but you need to give me a little advance time to, to prepare. Okay, that's fair. Um, here, So here's my uh, quick quiz. Who is the only high school position player from Hawaii drafted this century with a positive war? I, high school? I, well, the only one I can think of, or the first guy who jumped to mind was Dane Sardinia. But I don't feel like it's necessarily him. But he he will be my guest because I can't think of enough. It is not. He did make it to the big leagues. I, I'll give you a hint. He is currently playing in the big leagues. And he's a high school. Mm-hmm. See, the, and it's like well, as soon as you say it, I'm going to be like, oh yeah, it's like yeah, you, you should actually. I can't think of a second high school. I, I can I can only remember stuff from like 20 years ago, Jonathan. Not more recent. He won a Gold Glove award in 2020. Wait, dra- drafted out of high school? 
drafted and signed out of high school. Okay, so it's not Colton Wong because he signed. Yeah, out I thought of you were. Right. Colton Wong yeah. was drafted out of high school, but didn't sign, and then was obviously a first rounder. Sheen Victorino, Hawaiian, but it's but and he that was before the, before the turn of the century. Did not win a Gold Glove in uh, twenty twenty. No. Yeah, no, that's why I said he didn't fit the clue. He is um, the current Yankees shortstop. Oh, is it wow. Isaiah Kiner Falifa? Correct. Is it, I did not realize he was a Hawaiian, but he was a, yes, he was a fourth rounder in 2013. And I probably just said taken in the top 10 rounds, but I, it, it's actually the way I framed it is correct either way because he was the only one positive. So the, the reason I bring all this up is because the guy that I want to talk about is Ava Arquette, who we were considering the best player in Hawaii in this draft class. Bo Sylvester is an interesting high school prospect there as well, catcher. But Arquette is super athletic. He's uh, 6'4". He's added about 20 to 25 pounds of of muscle uh, over the last couple of years. He's a really good basketball player, uh, super athletic, has a chance to hit, is really starting to grow into his power. Now, it remains to be seen if he can stick at shortstop. He's kind of big. I think most scouts think he moves over to third. He idolizes Cal Ripken Jr., and uh, I guess locally, people have compared him to that just as a, as a big shortstop who loves to play basketball. So I don't know. If I'm a team that thinks that the offensive upside is going to be there, I'd send him out as a shortstop and see what happens. Uh, we've certainly seen our fair share of, of big shortstops, but uh, he may get too physical for that. But I think he may hit well enough to, to be able to move to a corner. Uh, he's committed to Washington, but he's a, one of the guys that I wrote up for that 151 to 200 that seems really intriguing to me. Career war leaders, real quick, Jim. Big league players born in Hawaii. Born in Hawaii? How about Sid Fernandez will be my first guess. Sid Fernandez is number two behind Charlie Huff, followed by the aforementioned Shane, Shane Victorino, Colton Colt Wong, and Kiner Falefa is uh, already at number nine. Ron Darling, Ron Darling, number six behind Kurt Suzuki at five. I did not realize Charlie Huff was born in Hawaii. I would not have come up with that one. No. All right. Sorry, Jim. Go on. I'm going to go with Alan Roden of Creighton, who is very interesting, but kind of a, a mixed bag. You can look glass half empty, glass half full. So so Alan Roden is a guy who played at Creighton, went to Creighton in 2019. He redshirted, didn't play at all. Then he, then he played very briefly, played, I think, like three games as a, as a redshirt freshman during the pandemic season in 2020. You know, finally gets a chance to play last year. He's Big East Conference freshman of the year honors because he's a COVID freshman, you know, hit 378 ops of almost 1100 led the big East in slugging and ops. And there was some interest in him. Then he's a good student. He wanted to complete his physics degree. So he went back to school and he's having another really tremendous year at Creighton, which is, is not an easy place to hit. They play it at TD Ameritrade and the ball does not carry there. If, if people watch college world series, it's not a place where the ball really carries. Um, and he's having another, Huge year. He's another Wisconsin pro high school product, but he finished regular season hitting 394, ops over 1100 again. He's first, he, he leads Division One in walk to strikeout ratio. He's got four times as many walks as strikeouts, and he's second in strikeout rate at 3%. And so the guys who like him and, and are in on him, they point to the elite bat to ball skills. He uses the entire field. He obviously controls the strike zone ex extremely well. Um, his swing and miss rate is crazy. He only swings and misses at 9% of the pitches he swings at, including just 4% of fastballs. He doesn't chase. Um, the guys who believe in him look at his exit velocities and his hitting prowess, think he's going to be able to add some loft and be a 15 to 20 home run guy. Um, 
he's a fringy runner, but they, you know, he's played some outfield. They think he can get by in the outfield, but then you have some guys who aren't as bullish on the power. He, he hits out of a deep crouch, open stance, high back elbow. So they, they, they wonder if he's more of a tweener. Um, they think he's more of a first base only, you know, it's interesting for a guy who, who's only really a fringy runner. He stole, he stole 28 bases and 29 attempts in the New England Collegiate Baseball League where he hit well with wood bats. So I don't think he – this isn't a guy where there's a consensus with 30 teams, oh, he belongs in the third or fourth round. But I do think there are teams, you know, especially the, the, the teams that are going to dive into the data and the swing and miss rates and the contact and the walks. If you told me Alan Roden went in the third or fourth round to, to a handful of teams, I, I could see that because – in terms of just statistically putting the bat on the ball and controlling the strike zone, there's nobody better in college baseball. Not the son of Rick Roden. Not spelled the same. R-O-D-E-N. We should clarify. Start calling him Rodin. He's a thinker. He's, he's a thinker at the nice. place. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's move on from the draft and give a little preview of what's on tap on, MI, on MLB.tv. In terms of minor league games this week, we have a full slate again. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, this week, uh, as we're recording, game one is underway. New Hampshire and Akron, Toronto and Cleveland affiliates. Some top 100 prospects in that game are Elvis Martinez, George Valera. Uh, unfortunately, Daniel Espino on the IL, but a nice matchup there. And then we have Salem at Fredericksburg on Wednesday. Single A affiliates of the Red Sox and the Nats. We were hoping for a little... Uh, Marcelo Mayer, Blaze Jordan, Brady House action, but it sounds like uh, we are not going to see Marcelo Mayer, who is, has been recovering from a wrist injury, and now it sounds like he's not going to be playing, but still with a Blaze Jordan, Brady House matchup there. And then on Thursday, we'll get another look at Jack Leiter, who is pitching for Frisco against Padres AA affiliate San Antonio. We have Quad Cities, Royals, High A affiliate against Fort Wayne. And a look at Bobby Barrels there, Robert Hassel the third, and then we'll round out the week with Springfield at Tulsa Cardinals, Dodgers, Jordan Walker, Andy Pies. Guys, a game in particular, if you could only watch one of those games, which would it be? You know, I'll take the Salem Fredericksburg game, even without Marcella Meyer. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Blaze Jordan, Brady House, it's a whole lot of power. Fair enough. Arguably the best raw power of a high school uh, of any high school guy in their individual drafts. So that's fair. I, I, I will go with. I'd go with San Antonio Frisco. Like watch Jack Leiter pitch. Ezekiel uh, Duran and Justin Foscue have been raking all year in Double A for Texas. And you know the, the guy who intrigues me on, on San Antonio. They don't have a lot of the Padres' top prospects there. But you know Kevin Copps. Who who beat out you? You have the, you you have the uh, Golden Spikes revenge matchup there, where Jack Leiter did not win the Golden Spikes because Kevin Copps won it with a great season at Arkansas. <laughs> nice. So like that could be wow. your 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 Golden Spike. I mean, maybe they could fly in Kumar Rocker to watch the game. Those were the three finalists. He could watch the game in the stands before he starts pitching in the Frontier League. That would that would be my angle. But Kevin Copps fascinates me. Is the rare sixth year senior who goes in the third round of the draft. He's he's doing okay. He's not tearing it up. Um, that, that slider isn't quite as dominant in pro ball as it was at Arkansas, but but I, I'd go with San Antonio and Frisco. Plus, there's a good chance San Antonio throws a no hitter. I mean, odds are right. Yeah, every what every three or four days they throw a no hitter. So yeah. sure. Yeah. I, although I, I'm going to say no, they will not no hit the the Rough Riders with led by Ezekiel Duran and, and Justin Foscue. So no no hitter that night. But that's my call. Take that to the bank. Twenty five thousand dollar bet. Go to DraftKings. Whatever odds are giving you, bet no no hitter <laughs> by the missions on Thursday. <laughs> that's like minus. 10,000 or something. And 
as a reminder, the way that this works, these games are available on MLB.tv and also being streamed on MLB.com. You can find them pretty much anywhere you look on the site. If you go to MLB.com, if you go to either of the team's homepages for these games on MLB.com, you'll find them there. You'll find them on MLB.com slash pipeline. We'll tweet them out from the MLB pipeline Twitter account. You can hardly miss them. Uh, All right, let's wrap up with a question from the mailbag. This one comes from Jacob Hobrock at Jake Hobrock on Twitter, who asks, if you had to put the current 2022 draft class prospects in the current top 100 prospects list, how many of them make it and at what ranges? Well, this is something that we will uh, actually do come August, I guess, but uh, an, an early look at what that might look like. Well, it feels like, Jonathan, we, we, we get this question every year. A typical year, 12 to 15 guys make the top 100. Does that sound yeah, right? Yeah, I was going to say usually about a dozen. But I'll say that we're going to be – my hunch says a little lighter than that just because I don't feel this draft class is quite as strong up top compared to others. Top 100's taken a lot of graduations this year, too. That's I, fair. If, 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 That's if fair. I set the over-under right now, I would set it at 12 and a half. I'll take the under because I feel I have to back up what I just said. But <laughs> you can fair. tell that we've really scientifically dug into this question. But let's start with this, you know, because and then there's, I think some of it also is so like we have Dylan Lesko, you know, pretty high up. And I think if he were healthy, he'd be a top 100 guy, but we're not going to put him in the top 100 Tommy John surgery. So there are guys like that. But let's start with Drew Jones, right? Like, because he's the number one guy. They're, you know, consensus is the top guy in this draft class. Uh, very likely to go some, you know, one or two, I think. And, you know, obviously there's a long way to go. How high do we put this year's number one draft talent into our top 100 once uh, once he begins his pro career? I'm looking at our list right now, very high. And I, I would think he would fit like somewhere in the 10 to 15 range, honestly. Over the past 20 years, on average, what is your guess as to the average debut of the number one overall pick in the draft in the top 100? The number one overall pick or the number one talent? Number one overall pick. Okay. I'd say in the 20s somewhere. I'm going to say 27. Average has been 17, 17.29. Wow. I mean, looking at our top 100 list right now, I I mean, I think you, you would talk about Drew Jones, you know, Along the lines of you know Marcelo Myers at ten, Daniel Spino's at eleven, Shane Boz, Corbin Carroll. You know if you want to err on the side of caution, okay, maybe he's behind those guys. Corbin Carroll plays the same position; he's tearing it up. Corbin Carroll might move up the next market corrections too. But you know Drew Jones versus Tristan Casas, Drew Jones versus Jack Leiter. I would definitely take Drew Jones over Brendan Davis and Alec Thomas, and I like those guys. So I, I think he winds up somewhere in that range. And actually, I should I should adjust that that seventeen ranking. That did not include the one number one overall draft pick since 2003 that was not a top 100 prospect, that did not debut as a top 100 prospect. Probably no. And that's not because he didn't sign. There's one of those as well, but that would not count in this case. You, do you know who that number one pick would be? The one Is that, it Matt Bush? It was Matt Bush, yes. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. Highest debut, highest debuts for number one picks belong uh, to Steven Strasburg, who debuted at number two. The next year, Bryce Harper at number three, 
And a couple of years ago, Spencer Torkelson at number four. Those are the three highest. Yeah, those are all fair. Those are all fair. No, I think that's right. If you told me that we end up with Drew, depending on, you know, performances, if Drew Jones snuck into the top 10, it wouldn't shock me. Some other recent number one overall picks and where they debuted in the top 100 to give a little more context. Dansby Swanson debuted at number 12, 2015. Mickey Moniak, number 34. Royce Lewis, number 31. Casey Mize, number 20. And Adley Rutschman, number six. And then last year's number one overall pick, Henry Davis, number 23. And I think those seem to be reflective of, you know, the guys who are lower were not necessarily considered the number one overall talent in those draft classes. Well, that's fair. And, you know, and looking at the rest of the list, you know, we, we have three straight high, four straight high schoolers, three behind Jones with Elijah Green, Jackson Holiday, Termar Johnson, you know, Brooks Lee and Kevin Pratt, I think, are the class of the colleges right now. I think all those guys probably fit, you know, somewhere in the 20 to 50, 20 to 55 range. And, and then we'll probably have another, you know, like we said, half dozen or so, you know, sprinkled throughout the bottom of the list. All right. Thanks very much to Jacob Hobrock for that question. Thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.